0: While the Sopranos mainly focused on the crimes and misdemeanors taking place inside a fictional New Jersey mob, much like the real Sopranos, their fellow mafiosos in New York couldn't be ignored. The fictional New York family was represented by Johnny Sacrimoni, better known as Johnny Sack. Starting in Episode 6 of Season 1, Vincent Curtola, a New Jersey native, portrayed the New York underboss with a steely cool that made him a hit with the legions of Sopranos fans. Many fans of the hit show may not realize that Vincent is also an accomplished musician, writer, and teacher. We spoke with Vincent in a wide-ranging interview, beginning with his fondness for New Jersey. Vincent's childhood in New Jersey was idyllic with a healthy respect for his parents, both successful professionals in their own right. You know, well, first
1: of all, I'm born and raised in northern New Jersey, in Bergen County. And it's a wonderful place because I was was privileged to grow up in the same street with a lot of major, major recording artists of the day. And it's a wonderful place because you get into Manhattan in 15 minutes. But Jersey is a place that, you know, you hear people say, oh, my God, New Jersey, isn't that the Turnpike and the Smokestacks and Sea Caucus? No, it's not. It's a beautiful, bucolic, I mean, we have, you know, look, we got different places, like you have different places in every state. But it's, uh, there's a lot of uh, atmosphere in, you want to call it Jersey? Let's call it Jersey. I wasn't wonderful. I was very polite. I was very polite. I was very quiet. I was good in school. And I always had little projects to do. You know, I had a, I had a three, uh, three-story 3 treehouse that I built. Uh, I had all my model cars. That was a fascination for me. Uh, I had all these cubby holes in this really big house. So I, I kind of felt like I was, uh, you know, I was a kid in a candy store. My mother helped my father who ran a very big masonry company back in the days when uh after the soldiers came home from world war ii there were huge developments in bergen county similar to levittown in long island and my father had the masonry contracts for literally a few thousand homes and my mother of course helped him with payroll insurance such and such
0: and her parent her parents owned an embroidery and lace company in hudson county Watching his parents' success in the business world provided motivation for Vincent as a young man and taught him very important lessons he would carry into adulthood.
1: It inspired me quite a bit. It really did because I knew from a very young age that I had to have my own thing. You know, I'm not the type, I don't think I would have been good taking orders. So what I did was when I was uh, 19, I want to say, yeah. I put an ad in the paper that I fix sidewalks, I fix retaining walls, I I build patios and blah, blah, blah. And customers gradually started to call, you know, and I had a couple of men working for me part time in the beginning because I didn't have enough work for them. But I thought I was on my own. I didn't care. It, if, if somebody was said to me back then, listen, you can go get a job and make a ton of money working for whatever corporation. I would have said, no, I got to be the guy. My father was very quiet. So when my father spoke, it was like EF Hutton, everybody would listen, but that's how he was. And he was an incredible businessman, very quiet. you never know who he was, very humble. And my mother, the same thing, my, but my mother was a father. My mother should have played the part of Johnny Sack. Yeah, because she had that personality. That's where I get it from. I would strive to be as good as my father in his heart because I carry I carry grudges where he was the type to say, it's okay, relax. You know, you're okay today. Forget about last week and that type of thing. I only wish I could aspire, I do aspire to it. And, you know, over the years getting older, yeah, you get better at it. But um, a lot of the things that went on, you know, my mother was 39 when she died. So she was born on the 1st of September died on the 13th of September, 39 years later. I was 14. I just turned 14.
0: Cortola obviously had no idea at the time, but both his parents would inspire some of the personality traits viewers would later see in Johnny Sack on The Sopranos. Somebody from
1: The Washington Post interviewed me some years ago uh, and said to me, well, where does uh, Johnny Sack come from? I said, well, the script, you know, they wrote him and, you know, no, 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 no. Where does he come from? And uh, he comes from the day of my mother's funeral on a beautiful September day like today, which I think back then was the 16th or 17th of September. Incredibly beautiful, beautiful day. And I remember looking at her casket as we were about to bring her to the church. In those days, they had what was called high requiem masses. And I remember looking at that bronze casket and for some strange reason, anytime time once I, I was cast on Sopranos, whenever I was going to have a really tenacious battle, let's say, with any character, Tony Soprano or Ralph Sofforetto or whatever, uh, I would picture that casket. And then something happens.
0: It's anger, it's regrets, whatever. And it starts to come through. While most actors start in high school plays or drama classes, Vincent, like his parents, was a successful businessman running his own company. That would change much later in life, due mostly to some prodding by his wife Maureen. Thus would begin a serendipitous journey that would lead to a friendship with a future castmate on The Sopranos in the role of a lifetime.
1: Maureen's birthday is the 29th of June. God bless my beautiful wife. And um, I had, you know, I re- I'll i tell you this. I remember distinctly, we were, we were, we just had dinner at home, another place where we lived, and uh, I don't know, I was just had a very frustrated evening, very frustrated night. And it was early evening, and I said, you know, I... I I'm doing this, I'm running the business, I, I, I don't know, I, I want to do something, I want to do something, I want to do something. She said, well, what is it that you want to do? I said, I want to be an actor. At the time, I'm 38 years old, okay? I want to be an actor. But then, you know, I'm so pragmatic that, you know, people call up for an estimate, I got to go give them an estimate back then, or I got to go pick up a check, we finished the job, now they owe me money. Who's got time to go study acting? And there was someone who had a couple of classes locally. I went a few times. And Maureen said, uh, Michael Moriarty teaches acting. Michael's a fabulous act. The uh, star for the five, five, first five seasons of Law and Order and won a Tony on Broadway, won three Emmys. He, he was up for Best Supporting Actor with Clint Eastwood for Pale Rider. And I, I nah, yeah, you go into New York. I got to go to New York, which I used to hate. I lived in the edge of New Jersey. Anyway, I went It was a Wednesday night, 6 o'clock class I walk in and it was in his gorgeous pre-war apartment Diagonally across from Carnegie Hall So I walk in and there's, you know, all these other students 25, 30 students And I looked at the far end of the room And I see some guy playing the piano I'm going, oh wow, that's Michael Moriarty Yeah, I guess it would be, I'm in his house And it was stunning to me that, wow, this is a real actor This is a real, I mean, I I was starstruck. I went to the class. I didn't say boo. I didn't say a word. Everybody else got a monologue scene. I didn't even know what a monologue was. That's no exaggeration. I went the following Wednesday night. Finally, I started to talk a little bit, you know. And it was really, yeah, because Maureen, I, I think, has always felt... You know, she said, you know, you watch all these old films. You love the the way these actors work. And the, you must want to do that. Yeah, I'd love to do it. But yeah. I, I had done two plays when I was, we had just gotten married. But they were like in the woods. Then I, I put it out of my mind. Sure. But I'm not going to pursue whatever the hell this thing is. So um, he was gracious enough to get me an audition for Law & Order in 91. And I had three lines playing a court clerk, but it got me my SAG card. So I continued there for a while. After a while, I started to run his place because he was off with Law and Order, and I would take the attendance of the students and the other substitute teachers. So now I'm saying to myself, "Okay, it's feeling a little bit more real." But meh. he said to me and some other people, "Write a five-minute uh, script, story, sketch, whatever." Uh, so I did. But I couldn't stop writing it. So it turned into a very sweet guy owning a funeral home in Brooklyn, degenerate gambler who owes a lot of money to a Shylock called Daily Beloved. So I had met Tony Sirico uh, in 92. Yeah, they call him Junior. God forbid I should call him Junior. I don't know what the hell would happen to <laughs> me. Some people can get away with that, though. I think Armando Sante gets away with it, too. And in any event, a friend of mine said, I'll direct it. Let's put up some money. And we filmed Dearly Beloved, which is a half hour comedy about this schnooky funeral home guy with a heart of gold. And I also, Either I got to marry Sirico's very homely sister, who you never see on screen, or I got to give him my funeral home because I don't have the money. We did that in 94. And I think we, we won an award. So we won something at the, on Houston Street, the theater. I forgot the name of the place. Anyway. This
0: might be hard to believe today, but at the time, Vincent wasn't exactly excited for the chance to be a cast member in the groundbreaking series. So
1: then uh, Sirico says to me, um, six years later, no, I'm sorry, four years later, he said, I got cast on something called The Sopranos. I saw good. I felt badly for him because I wanted to see him work. I was fine. I had my business. I'm okay. So he starts working. In 98, they went into full production. <clears throat> and I had a little, little, little manager at the time, a woman. I think I was her only client in Manhattan. And uh, she said to me, oh, there's this character in this thing called The Sopranos. I said, I heard about The Sopranos. I got a friend of mine working on it. Well, his character is Johnny Sack. Yeah, and what? She said, well, I, I think you should go in for it. I'm going to call them. And, eh, I don't know. I, I was really not certain about anything at the time. I had just done a little NBC movie of the week with Chris Nolfe. First of all, the breakdown said that this guy, Johnny Sack, is 70 years old. And he wears multiple little sweaters and a little cap. And he's a mob guy. I said, yeah, at the time, I'm, you know, 43, you know. So she said, no, I want to send you in for it anyway. I blew the first two appointments. She made the appointment. I said, no, I can't go tomorrow. She made a second appointment. I said, no, I can't because I'm working on this thing called Exile. I had two lines. It was in Staten Island. Now I got to leave. I got to go to Manhattan for the, you know. So finally, on the third round, I said, okay, what time tomorrow? four o'clock. All right. So I went, it was on West uh, 72nd Street, it was a satellite office of casting. So I I just got there on time, I get out of the cab, I said to myself, I'm tired of rushing around, I'm going to stop, smoke a cigarette. So I lit a cigarette, I walked around a little bit, and I'm walking, walking, walking farther and farther away from where I'm supposed to be. Lit another cigarette. I said, you know, I'm already late, I might as well just get back in the cab, get back to the bridge and go home. So I go up, I walk into the room, whatever the room was Huge room, one person at a desk in the middle of the room A woman, and she's got stacks of pictures and resumes So I walk in, she doesn't even raise up her head She looks at her watch, she said, you're late I said, no problem, okay, I'll go home I'm good, like, now I'm released, I can leave, you know <laughs> True story So she said, well, did they, uh, okay, wait, wait, wait She said, she looks up and she said, sit down Okay she said, did they fax you the sides, you know, for the cat? Yeah, I have. Oh, well, let's read the scene. Read the scene. And uh, that was a Thursday, I remember. She said to me, um, she said, I want you to come back on Monday. I want you to meet somebody. I said, okay, where do I have to go? She said, Long Island City. What? There Silver is. Cup Studios. So I get to Silver Cup. I walk in. There's a waiting room. And they must have, so I looked at the sign-in sheet. And there's like... 40 names, 45 names, 50 names. What are they in for? Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack. So I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm listening and the walls are paper thin and I hear these other people in there for like six, seven minutes doing the dialogue, you know, that I've got in my hand as Johnny Sack. And I hear them screaming. Every one of them screaming. You know, Hesh really should get more than that because Tony Bop, but boop, 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 boop. And I said to myself, well, I'm not going to do that. They've already heard that. I'm going to do something different. So when it was my time to go in, sat on the couch and there's about, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, 12 people on chairs. I didn't know who David Chase was. Nobody did. Uh, I didn't know who Alan Taylor was, the director of the episode, whatever. They said, and the producers were there. I said, okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So whatever it was, the line, and then I, I said, well, you know, uh, I really think that uh, Junior's got a point there. You know, as far as Hesh is concerned, whatever it was. And I I remember them leaning away from their chairs, like, what the fuck is he talking about? Can you hear? I don't know, Bill. Can you hear him? I don't know, Fred. I don't, I don't really, not, I really can't hear him. And they knew it. I felt it, you know. I said, could you just do it one more time? Yeah, no problem. So I did it again. I kept my voice extremely low. Because I looked at it this way. If you've got power... And this character had a lot of power. Why would I be screaming? <clears throat> so, thank you very much. And they are all like, you know, just, you know how they look in an audition. They look like this. So next morning, I got a call about 11 o'clock from my manager and said, they want you to play the part. My agent called me and said, listen, I, I got the breakdowns today. Sixth episode of this thing, The Sopranos, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I, I really don't want to go to the audition. I already knew Tony Sirico six years before I, I and uh i said i know tony's already got a role they started shooting so on and so forth i was not i was i you i was hoping it wasn't going to be hey you know there's that the that guy went to but I was really hoping and it wasn't it was not i think that the characterizations were really 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 untainted when i say untainted meaning that they didn't use a certain accent or vernacular that might be expected of people in the life of organized crime, of which you've seen on other television shows and movies. It was not, that was my fear, that it was just going to be this real big garlic and oil mess. But thank the Lord, no, it was not.
0: Without question, Johnny Sack turned smoking into an art form. After a while, you almost expected Johnny's cigarette to be listed among The Sopranos cast members. How exactly did Vincent turn smoking a heater into performance art?
1: Well, I was a smoker. I was a smoker since I'm a teenager. And uh, I still, to this day, to this day, have people run up to me in the street and say to me, nobody smoked a cigarette like Johnny. That cigarette was was a friend to Johnny. That was a, you know, when Johnny would light a cigarette, it was like, having the comfort of a close friend that cigarette would calm him down it would calm him down eventually it bit him in the end because he died of lung cancer but for the interim the way i smoked um it was just it was a very intimate thing it was like eating and uh, i had quit i had quit weeks before my final episode where my character is dying of cancer in a prison hospital and i had a smoke in the uh episode, but they gave me these uh, organic, I don't know what you call them. made out of cabbage leaves, there's no nicotine, no, they were tough to smoke, but yeah, I uh, I incorporated that cigarette into into Johnny's character, really as much as I could, there was a reason for it,
0: yeah. When it comes to his relationship with Sopranos creator David Chase and his fellow show writers, Vincent was definitely not one of those actors who wanted creative input on his character.
1: Uh, David Chase never had a conversation with me about how he felt Johnny Sack should be crafted or how he should work. Um, I've never had that conversation with either him or any of the directors or any of the writers on the show. It was just understood that once you get your script for the, your, the new episode that you're going to be in and you read your stuff, you just knew. You just knew said, yeah, you know, Johnny would say that. Johnny would do that. So it was never no one ever came to me and had any kind of a a tone, a character tone conversation with me. And I, I thanked them for that because it gave me uh, gave me some room. I've never spoken to David Chase or any of the writers about really about any specifics of the storyline. Because I think it would first of all, it would not have been my place. You know, I'm an actor, they're the writers, they're the creators. And uh, you trusted it. You just trusted it. There were no, I, you know, I don't know if other cast members had those conversations with the producers. I would not know if they did. I know that I never did. I never had. I never did any research with regard to how I would play my character. No.
0: Vincent has some interesting thoughts on portraying a mafioso. And the real-life Jersey mob that Sopranos may or may not have been based on. That includes the infamous Cavacante wiretaps that captured members of the family comparing themselves to the HBO series.
1: There was a New Jersey uh, family who, uh, I guess a couple of them had watched our show, The Sopranos, and they were on federal surveillance. When they started talking about the show, and I think we had just been in maybe second or third season by the time they... uh, And I just thought it was, uh, it was unusual, it was interesting that here you have alleged members of something like that watching uh, the fictionalized version of The Underground. I think it was very interesting. And it was a bit flattering, I have to say.
0: Like most mafia characters and real life mobsters, Johnny Sack was a loving and deeply loyal family man, especially regarding his wife Ginny. Yet. When it came to his crime family or La Costa Nostra rules, he was as merciless as they come. Vincent talks about the dichotomy of the man he portrayed.
1: You know, it was about being protective of people who you, uh, who own your heart, you know, and if you love them, you own them. And I think that uh, Johnny's role in the organization, which by the way, I'm imagining was chosen by him. I don't think anyone forced him as a young guy to go into organized crime. But, you know, we had done a scene somewhere along the line where uh, Tony Soprano said to uh, Johnny Sack, he says, isn't it about putting food on the table for our children and for future generations? And that's how I, playing the role, always felt. I felt that I was protective uh, of a wife who I was thoroughly devoted to, the mother of my children, And I felt that at any cost, I would preserve their safety and I would preserve their abundance for years to come, regardless of what might happen to me. And uh, I felt it was an honorable position to take. I really did. And whoever stood in my way, again, because of the life that I chose, uh, would have to go.
0: In a show filled with complicated relationships, the deterioration of Johnny Sack's friendship with Tony Soprano stands out. In this clip, Vincent discusses the arc of their character's relationship and how things might have turned out differently in the end. He also gives his thoughts on the late, great James Gandolfini. You know, I
1: I never paced anything I did in any of the episodes. Uh, The the writing was so clear, so specific, that I, I would just go with the moment. But I think that Tony's position was... uh, He just had more and more pressure on him. He was getting older. Johnny Sack was getting older. You know, you get to that point where that compression is too much. And, you know, it's like the steam comes out of the kettle when it's time for the tea. And uh, as far as not loving each, each other anymore as great associates, you know, Johnny went to prison for a couple of seasons. Eventually died in prison hospital. And I just think it was a matter of survival. I do happen to believe, however, if Johnny had not been incarcerated and not gotten sick and eventually it would turn around back to the original platform that he and Tony Soprano had they had a mutual respect and I believe they both would have lived to a very old age I really do mm. the respect was uh, it, 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 you could cut it with a knife it was there there's no question about it yeah Jim Jim Gandalf Jim was absolutely perfect because he had you know he had the angst the character had the angst I mean, look, look at the premise. You have an organized crime figure, high-ranking, going to see a psychiatrist, and that shows a threat of insecurity. It shows a threat of low self-esteem. It shows a threat of a guy who second-guesses himself. The character was already vulnerable as written. But Jim was able to pull it off in such a way that you saw the vulnerability, the sensitivity, you saw him second-guessing the lifestyle that he that he. That he was living in by the same token you saw his full throttle capability of being as ruthless as the as the moment needed Uh, you know that's a great range to have for an actor and jim pulled it off like surgery it was precise other people who may have tried for the role i don't know uh we don't know how they would have been in it obviously because they didn't do it jim did it but you're just comfortable with the choice of Jim, period.
0: Did Vincent have any idea when the pilot episode aired that we would still be talking about The Sopranos almost 15 years after the final episode aired? He discusses the enduring legacy of the show and how it feels to be recognized as Johnny Sack to this day.
1: Johnny Sack, the character of Johnny Sack, is um, I'm actually on a daily basis. On a daily basis... I'm reminded of him by fans who, who, who come to me with emails from all over the world. I meet mean, all over the globe. And plus, the, I'm, I'm always honored to uh, send out cameo greetings to people who request them. I do that on a daily basis. And I'll tell you, you know, uh, it, it, it's wonderful to be an actor who actually has the identity of a character. You'll see a lot of actors in a lot of projects. And you'll say, oh, yeah, the guy from that, the other guy. Yeah, he was, I think he was in You know, but to have a character's name for an actor, that's that's gold. That is gold.